Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. It's bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Tuesday, but this is Saturday when you're here, or Sunday or Monday, whatever. We have two superstars. Not just stars, but superstars, all right? And I'm going to allow our guests to introduce themselves, starting with this guest right over here. Hello, State Senator Toy Hutchinson, 40th District, Illinois State Senate. All right, and where would that be, Toy Hutchinson? That would be Southern Cook County, Will County, Kankakee County, and Grundy County in the great state of Illinois. All right, and guest number two? My name is Jahan Gordon Booth, and I am the Deputy Majority Leader in the Illinois State House, and I represent the Peoria community. And Peoria is not in the Chicagoland area, but we are uh, the home of Richard Pryor. That is <laughs> that, well, that is true. That really Richard, good. right? I feel like, people, feel like you had to add something. That was really good. I feel yeah. like this audience would know who Richard Pryor That's is. Right. So I wanted to insert Historic that into legacy it. stuff. And David Booth. That's my brother-in-law. Yes. And yes. many of our basketball fans out <laughs> DePaul there. DePaul alumni. Yes. Yeah. Chicago, uh, bro- Chicago bred. 1988, I want to say. Man. Yeah. Yes, that. <laughs> yes, Mark McGuire, David, uh, David Booth. They had a lot of good days. DB, you hear us giving you shout-outs? Yeah. Come on, David. All right. Come on, David Booth. <laughs> DB. All right. Now, the last time the two of you were on the show together. Well, first of all, you're like a, a tag team. Uh, <laughs> tag team. <laughs> so explain how it is that you've become a tag team toy accident <laughs> jesus <laughs> we we knew each other before we were in the legislature uh-huh. um so i was like current ages now so i'm 46 now mm-hmm. i'm 37 37 so i would had to make a promise to someone who mentored me that i would find somebody who was younger than me to do the same thing and I met this young woman who was like not quite 10 years younger than me, but younger than me. And we started talking and clicked. And this is like no Facebook, no mm-hmm. Google, no social yep. media. I didn't even know what she looked like. Wait, so time <laughs> out. This is before you were elected official. We were yes, neither, neither one, one of us. us. Neither one of us. We were just doing kind of community work with like the Illinois Black Chamber and yes. doing some consulting work. And we came upon each other and realized we both went to the University of Illinois. Technically, you were a trustee in Olympia Fields and I was a school board member in Peoria. Okay, that was what we were doing on the outside. Yes. Oh, and so, we but were you'd doing already like, launched yes. your career. You had to run for office. Kind, kind of. of. <laughs> what, they get appointed? I was appointed. I was like, So you weren't elected, elected, start elected no. at all? No, we weren't elected at all. We did, and we kind of found each other. Yep. And then the friendship grew very organically. And today, we're now 10 years in the General Assembly together, and... Legalized I, marijuana today. Today. Yeah. Like, uh, change uh, history today. Folks, like, you like, like all, together. when we first met, together. They're wearing green. Today. Okay, they're wearing green. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't planned. It was, we didn't talk first either. Uh, oh, yeah, it's, it's just, that's organic. Organic. Uh, it's like they beam ideas. It really <laughs> is. It's amazing how wonderful ideas grow. And uh, so your roommates as well? <laughs> roommates as well? We are. We are roommates in Springfield. So we debrief <laughs> we every come night home from like a day in the Capitol. <laughs> and now that we're home 
and we've had this amazing historic session and there's all these things that have happened in the session. So I FaceTime her at 7.30 in the morning like, what are we doing today? Because <laughs> like, I'm used to seeing you like Every staying day. up till one crying about what we didn't do or did do in the Capitol and then waking up at seven in the morning for a new meeting. So I know we're going to get to all the important issues of the day like legalizing marijuana and the reproductive rights bill and the fair tax bill. Y'all, you both had a hand in that. But I want to know what is it like to be uh, roommates in Springfield uh, in this day and age. Oh my God, during the rounder years, you talk about crying. You guys are probably <laughs> weeping every day. Uh, so, you know, talk about a little about the lifestyle of being a, a, a state politician in Springfield. So it was, this year was a major lifestyle change for me because I we have both been in the General Assembly for 10 years. And for 10 years, for the last nine years, I've driven home every night. So I live about an hour and a half away from the Capitol. And no matter what the evening was, at the end of the night, sometimes the night was over it. 10, 11, 12, I drive home. Mm -hmm. This year, um, one, I was um, appointed to the deputy majority leader position, which was- History uh, making. This is the first African-American woman deputy majority leader in Illinois State House history. And I knew that with that, I needed to completely lean into that space, not just for me and my community, but just for the the gravity of what that means mm -hmm. and wanting to make this moment count at a time like this, knowing that we have a governor who was going to be supportive of all the things that we've all talked about over the last 10 years of serving in this body. Like this was the moment where we could actually actualize all of those things. And so I made a conscious decision at the very beginning that I was not gonna be driving back and forth home every night. I have a, family and I have a daughter and I said that's a priority but this has to be a priority too so a uh, toy who already had an apartment a two-bedroom apartment said what are you thinking just stay, stay with me stay here and that's what we did and it is it is one providing safety for each other um <clears throat> the other thing is there's not a lot of ink provided to what the lifestyle is like for women legislators mm -hmm. and women legislators that are balancing family and all that it takes to balance when you have to be wife, mother, daughter, friend, community leader, um, just all those things that you have to, that we do on a regular basis at home with our own families and our own communities and then be ready and there and present to slay dragons in the Capitol. And it is not an easy thing to do. And so we have created a community of women in the in the capital, I think, that is like significant when it comes to those things. And so my children are 19, 21, and 23. Her mm. daughter is four. So I get to tell her on a regular basis that A, she's doing an absolutely amazing job at all the jobs she has. And two, that no matter how uh, hard the balance is, I promise you won't break her. Mm. You won't break her. She's yeah. gonna be okay. Yeah. And she's gonna grow up even in the times when she doesn't understand it now, she'll be able to see how strong and how amazing it is to have a mom who never stops dreaming and fighting. And she's got that kind of a mom. And Jahan needed the space to walk into leadership, not exhausted. And we don't talk as women mm. legislators enough about that. Yeah. And that happened for the four of us when we were working through this um, legalization effort. The there were the me, Heather Staines, Kelly Cassidy, like mm -hmm. it was really the four of us. Yeah. And all of us had significant things that happened to us over these last five and a half months, either at home, personally, medically, all kinds of things that happened while this was going on simultaneously that most times either elected people or especially not elected women ever get to talk about. Yeah. So yes, we're roommates and we're friends and we just so is there a messy history one? today. 
Is there a, a, a messy roommate, or are you both neat? No, no. It's just us two. It's, it's, just it's us. not the it's not the odd couple. No, you know, like did did it did it? Like the one doesn't clean up. <laughs> no, I John, will cook though. I do cook. Oh, you she doesn't cook. cook. I cook. No, Who, I so you do the dishes. I was the little sister in a scenario. Uh, <laughs> so you don't even do the dishes. <laughs> no, she does and the dishes. <laughs> 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 Man, I, I never heard of a little sister. sister didn't do the dishes. Come All on, right. and my family, uh, my family trouble. would be like, "Wait a minute, mom did dishes." Like, <laughs> my family would be like, "Who are they talking about?" Wait now, so ten years, <laughs> e- ten years, each of you uh, in the at the state house, right? Yes. So you're yeah. talking about uh, Quinn, the, the Me Too years. Yeah, the, you long, know? our first vote was an impeachment of Lagoyevich. <laughs> right. That was our first vote. Wow. Yes. Right. Like we came in, the House had impeached. There you the go. very first well, time I ever spoke on the microphone was an impeachment trial. Right. And, like and, it was and, that. And, and the sales tax receipts that year had diminished by over 27% mm-hmm. because of the Great Recession. The Great. Yeah, it was yeah, the Great Recession. So, yeah. and it was what? The second one that had hit Illinois. Yes. So, in retrospect, Quinn so, uh, wasn't that bad a governor, right? He did some good things. <laughs> The pause, the silence. He did some good. Th- he did some very. Yeah. He did some good. I mean, things. just what you said. I just. I let's give the guy a shout out. Yeah, the, he did the some really good things. The recession hits. There's sales taxes. We got to. You know what? I will say this. I am very proud of the fact that we got to work on first civil unions, then marriage equality, then we we uh, erased the death penalty. I mean, we had some really significant progressive yeah. pieces of legislation that happened under the watch of Governor Pat Quinn. Absolutely, full stop. All right. So there were some really good things that happened. Yeah. There were some um, challenges that we were left with, and we uh, not only as a legislature, but I think as a party as a whole, were left with. And then we ended up with the wonderful fortune of finding an almost billionaire who didn't give a damn about any of it, <laughs> other than running the state into the ground. Yeah. So that's what happened right after that. The reality is for me during that same seat. So this season that she's talking about, I had some significant things that happened in my life that really changed the trajectory of my life from like losing my mom, losing my son. Like there were a lot of things. So while all that was happening, that really pulled me out of the everyday gnashing and negotiating of what it means to be in Springfield in a way that was not on me in this cycle. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I remember, I I know you don't probably don't want to go back and talk about this, but uh, (laughs) I remember the contentious debate over your bill back in help me out here toy what year was that i'm losing track of time i want to say 2017 uh were your bill it was a bill about um it was a bill about uh, was it your the, the voting rights bill where they uh started talking about criminalizing giving too much rights to criminals it, it was, was it, am i mixing up two bills here? it was um the neighborhood safety act that's um, what it was. 2872 which i yes. worked on with sema and that was a bill that we passed in 2017 that mm-hmm. did was the um the largest criminal justice reform bill to ever pass in illinois to um reduce the prison population of department of corrections by 25 percent by 2025. Mm-hmm. and so unpack that so it was 2017 and this woman gets to sit in a leadership capacity for at that time, which was the largest criminal justice reform bill ever passed in the state yeah. of Illinois. And what we signed today mm. was the largest criminal justice reform bill passed in the country. In the country All as right, it relates to expungement, sealing, and and direct nexus to Kansas. Let's talk about that because the last time the three of us, and I think, Jahan, you reminded me of this, or maybe it was, uh, yeah, the last time the three of us were at Mike's together uh, was on election night, I yes. want to yep. say, of yes. 2018. Yep. 
And uh, we still didn't know what was going to happen. We did no. not know what was going to happen. <laughs> I was a little uncertain. You sure were. You uh, were calling bets that night. <laughs> he did. He called bets on Kwame, oh. and I was like, he's winning by 16 yes, points. He we were did. Like, Stop being All so across the room at the fish house, yeah, right? right? At the fish house. You totally were like, I don't know, guys. I don't know. <laughs> we don't know if we're getting whatever. We're like, we're not thinking like that. We're about to bring this home. <laughs> And I think I lost every bet I made. You sure did, because uh, we brought it home. Yes. <laughs> Clean slate. All right. And so you, we were talking about um, legalizing marijuana, legalizing a reefer, and it has happened. <laughs> okay. So talk about that. Uh, talk about how I guess get a kick out of you calling her a reefer. I know, I know. because I'm like 90 years old. That's so cute. That's what my dad says. All you kids out there smoking dope. Smoking reefers. <laughs> Uh, so we've legalized cannabis, uh, and uh, the, the, when Kelly Cassie would come on to talk about her bill, you know, this is back before, uh, I think Ronner may have been the governor, and she would always call it cannabis, because somehow or other that makes it, you know, like more of No, it's not that. It's <laughs> oh, that if you actually that? study uh-huh. the criminalization and yeah. the connection for how they made it criminal, uh-huh. it was cannabis in this country for hundreds of years until they wanted to connect it to black and brown people, yeah. and then they started calling in marijuana, then yeah. they started doing that purposely. It was Mexican. It was literally, and it was what brown people did to be to be illegal to you know, and, and all that, all of the uh, misinformation and disinformation and all the stuff that went with that. We're still living with today. All right, let's talk about that today. because this is one of my favorite topics, actually. Um, and I, I go on and on about this. I don't, Jahan, I don't know if you ever heard me on this. I think Toy has. Uh, the thing that really irritates me the most when I think about uh, the, the laws regarding marijuana is that it's widespread throughout. Equal, uh, equal everybody's smoking amongst, it. Yeah, okay. Same rates amongst Everybody smoked, but only black people got arrested for yep. it. And in Illinois, and seven times the rate. Seven Nationally, times. four and a half. Yeah. Illinois, seven. And, and then there's the pretense that it's some alien, foreign, just scary thing that... Uh, but don't like you find that ironic that that's also at the same time where it's being completely normalized in every television show and every Absolutely. movie and every, everything? Say. It's like that. When policymakers talk about it, especially general, generationally, they say what you just mentioned. Yeah. But people who are under a certain age is like it's in every TV show, every movie, no, every everything. Toy, so we're let me living in an era. When, when I first started writing about legalizing marijuana, it's about ten years, and I would call politicians in to interview them on the subject, and they would. Can we go off the record? They want to go off the record. <laughs> right. I'm like, and meanwhile, I'm watching it's TV so shows with everyone smoking everyone. and everyone's getting high. And, and amazingly played for jokes when it depicts white people consuming in a market for which there are never going to be any consequences. So they yeah. can easily turn your your, your 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 chair away and not think about where that came from. Well, that black you just people smoked. used it for jokes but too. No, we used it for jokes, but I'm saying we had the rec- we had the also um, addition of the actual over-targeting yes. and over-policing, whereas you had white played for white jokes when you knew that they're upwardly mobile, educated, titled people that consume on a regular basis with with impunity. So then connect that to the way that pop culture icons like Snoop and others have sort of kept this at the forefront of people's minds in other parts of the culture in a much more overt way. And then when those people connect with folks like Martha Stewart and then she's doing it, it then becomes to normalize this activity so that it's not behind the cloak of secrecy and done only by either the other people 
or it's done in the secrecy of people's homes and people's basements at their private parties in their lavish homes where they can do it with impunity. It All of this has happened really, I would say, in the last 10 years. It's all of these entities and groups have come together in a way so that when you see the polling data mm-hmm. across, not just in the city of Chicago, but in communities like mine in downstate Illinois, you have cannabis legalization polling at almost 70%. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, here's one of the curious uh, little quirks about uh, cannabis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I won't call it reefer. Uh, and the way the referendum went down in Chicago, and I don't know if I ever talked to you about this toy, but we've talked about this on the show for a long time. I uh, did the deep dive. There was a... Um, a referendum, I think it was last year, mm-hmm. and in the city of Chicago, or it was the county it was of Cook, Cook County, yep. widespread. Yeah. I remember. I mean, Cook it just. County. But in black wards in Chicago, it was the lower vote, right? And it was. But when I say lower, toy, let me just say sixty-five percent as opposed to seventy percent. Right. I mean, right. it wasn't you. Right. So I ask people. And it gets that to what you were talking about, uh, is that there are real consequences for black people who smoke marijuana and parents who have to raise their children in that backdrop. Mm-hmm. It would be parental malfeasance to not to not train and protect your child to stay away as much as you possibly yeah. can because of those additional things. Whenever I talk to my kids about it, there was never a conversation I had about the moral justices of smoking weed or not. Mm-hmm. It was about law enforcement and about, and about the fact that I was raising two African-American sons and a daughter who had two African-American brothers mm-hmm. and who I knew would be in a situation where they would be more likely. I just saw a quote earlier today, actually from the Sun-Times. In 2017, the first four months of 2018, 94 people, this is the first four months of 2018, Mm -hmm. 94 people were busted in Chicago for petty marijuana possession. 76 of them were black. Mm -hmm. 16 were Hispanic. Two were white. (laughs) Two white guys. We're probably hanging out with black guys. Multiply that across the rest of the state. Yeah. That's what you see. All right. And so that backdrop... We're, it is, it, if we did not, as black policymakers, mm-hmm. acknowledge the pain and anger and cynicism and mistrust of the system that is wrapped up into when we say, okay, now all of a sudden, everybody who caught a case over there is, that's, that's a secondary issue. We're going to now allow a whole bunch of people in suits to make millions and billions of dollars while we license them to sell metric mm-hmm. tons of this. Yeah. That proposition in and of itself was met in black and brown communities like, who the hell do you think you're talking to? Mm -hmm. Like, you think we don't know what's about to happen here? You think you think that we believe you're going to put us at the forefront of this? We had to deal with that very reality. And there's no way in the world that anything that we came out of this process would be legitimate if we didn't acknowledge the fact that that reality exists in communities that look like ours all across the state, specifically and designed and targeted. And the reason why we were able to stand so strongly, because who you would think would be normal allies for us, were not. But honestly, it was voices like yours, voices of groups like Chicago Normal, mm-hmm. um, other media outlets like WVON and their hosts like Maze Jackson and um, Cliff Kelly and others who really do have a platform and use your platform to actually inform people about what this issue is and what this issue means if we do this in an equitable, progressive fashion. I, I, I am smiling when you said Maze Jackson and Maze, if you're listening. I want, when I did my uh, a story about the... <laughs> Mays had me on his show, and then he tried to say that the 
this is ancient history, but Mays, I, you know I ain't going to say this. <laughs> well, Ben, black people smoke marijuana different than white people. I'm not making that up. And as one of the few people in the world who has smoked marijuana with blacks and white people, I'm like, no, they don't. But uh, there's so many uh, misconceptions that are out there, there are. about uh, marijuana. Now, so when you began to champion the issue of, of legalizing it, uh, did you have uh, uh, to, to deal with people saying to you, why are you encouraging yes. young people to smoke marijuana? As parents. Certainly. As that, parents. That's part of, part of why it's so ironic that there could be like a viral nickname called the Marijuana Moms. Marijuana Moms. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was like the joke amongst the four of us was that we are the coolest moms in the world until these kids realized we were trying to make it harder for them to get it. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's one of those. Yeah. Um, I... I know for me, I got into my kids are seven. My kids are now 19, 21, 23. So I have gotten everybody through high school. And I remember exactly what high school was like for all of them. And I don't feel like I can't remember my own high school, college years. Like it was just yesterday. But I got in this precisely because I'm PJ Cameron and Ryan's mom. Because I know it's much easier in a park to get some marijuana than it is to get alcohol or cigarettes. And I firmly believe that the gateway is alcohol and cigarettes. And I know that there is a fatal dose of alcohol. And I know what the legislation has been as it relates to young people and underage drinking and college campuses and all of those things we did. And I know how much taxing and regulation and public education went into getting people to stop smoking. Like if you study any of these things, if you study just bootleggers and Al Capone, you know that prohibition does not work. It does not stop people from consuming this illegal, unregulated, laced with God knows what product. And if there was any reason in the world that we should get in the middle of that, we should get in the middle of that. It is the right thing to do because it's a matter of public health, not the criminal justice system. And anybody who's protecting the system as it is right now, mm-hmm. then you need to answer, answer, answer me. Why is it okay that in the state of Illinois, black and brown folks, specifically black folks, are seven times more likely to be arrested or just caught up in a system related to this than anybody Mm -hmm. else and that we should leave it just the way it is right now. That in and of itself is unconscionable and a non-starter for me, which is why I stand by this. All right, now let me explain that these uh, myths die hard. And I know we're we're not gonna talk about the gambling bill because you didn't uh, specifically work in the gambling bill, but Mm -hmm. I I wanna point this out. Uh, you're aware of this because you're in Springfield. I just wrote about this. The resistance to marijuana, even now, was so strong. The, the rhetoric was so insane. The one dude whose name I can't remember with the egg in the frying pan. That would be Representative that's, Anthony that, DeLuca. That's, that okay. is Toy's representative in her, in her Senate district. <laughs> okay, Toy. Well, this is the adolescent Brian. 1985. Okay. I, I, just, I, was, 19, I keep thinking about how much damage the war on drugs did. You're talking, that, that's reefer madness. Well, we call it That's what it is. Let's put a fine point on this. Think about this. How is this the senator for that district? And that's... The rep for that district. So it just, it shows you the importance and the diversity of thought that exists in the Illinois General Assembly. But I will say, everything we have ever learned in 2019 about the war on drugs was encapsulated in that remark when you pulled out the very commercial that was the centerpiece for the war on drugs that caused black and brown communities so much pain. Devastation. 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 So it was, that was an interesting moment for me to listen to. All right. (laughs) Contrast that 
And he wasn't the only one. I just, that one was just outrageous. Uh, but remember, there was this resolution passed. Hold up, you're going too fast. They had 60 people sign this thing. 63. Okay? 63. You can't find 63 <laughs> people to agree on anything. That's right. But they agree. Gambling. Like, like that, overnight, this 816-page gambling bill, the guarantee nobody read, Say it's going to, and you know how many Say people again. get destroyed by Say gambling? Again. I mean, and those it. are the biggest ones. I but, and you talk about a <laughs> yes. brain and a, as an egg, <laughs> stick out the brain of a person who just blew no, his I'm life saving. Really, yes. You really think about that analogy, it's just not a good analogy. I'm Yeah, <laughs> oh boy, with the, the egg. But I just... Yeah, I, Say it toy, loud for the people in the cheap seats. I'm, I really try to be positive always, okay? And I applaud you guys for getting the, the... I really do, okay? But I have a hard time with the way we so cavalierly pass a massive gambling bill. And then the way we're like, oh, what are we going to do? You know, rent is pounding the breasts and crying and pleading and no republicans like where are they gotta vote for it like republicans don't smoke marijuana right you know what i'm saying right so it's so i will say that there were a lot of people who said this feels like it's very very rushed you guys did so much stuff in like two weeks and i had to push back a little bit i was like none of this happened in two weeks none of it as long as i've been in the senate we have had conversations on gaming. We've talked about South Suburban gaming locations. We've talked about the problems with the city. I have lived through as many neg negotiations between the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois as it relates to whether there would be a casino in the city of Chicago. The mileage setbacks and all those things for various locations. Like these, As long as I've been in the Senate, these have been conversations that have been happening. And part of the problem was that the bills would get so big, they'd collapse under their own weight at the end of it. Because we had a big issue with racinos versus casinos and where they could both listen, the expansion of video gaming, all of that. When you take the hundreds of hours put into cannabis and the I, I, dozens and dozens and dozens of town halls across the state... Uh, two and a half years of legislators traveling from various states. Like I was one of the one of the one of the sponsors on the medical program. I, it took me three sessions to pass hemp. We finally passed hemp, and I, we got Rounder to sign it. We finally passed hemp, and then we go on this journey for adult use rec. Like I have been in and around a cannabis conversation for a very long time on the taxation side, as well as on the policy side. So when people say, and then we, then you add reproductive, the Reproductive Health Act into that. When people say this feels heavy and big and fast and intense and really, really quick and we did it in two weeks, the reason it feels like that is because for so many of these yeah. issues, we've waited so long. And we finally had a governor that was bold enough to be like, I probably only have one year of a honeymoon. So we're going to shoot for the moon. <laughs> we're going to shoot for the moon and try to land as much stuff as we possibly can. And there were a lot of us that didn't think we had enough runway to do this. Mm -hmm. But the fact that this governor in his first year uh, laid out a bunch of campaign promises on that campaign trail and landed five of the biggest ones in the first five months. Um, it was an intense session that we actually got some stuff done. And it's been a long time coming long time now ago. uh what guarantees are in the uh the marijuana bill uh that will protects uh, protect the economic interests if you will of um black entrepreneurs i'm doing this the best i can yeah. entrepreneurs sure. because one of the things i heard from a, a lot of different people not publicly so much is that this is going to sound really weird but w 
like this is an industry. People make money off this thing. And it's uh, illegal, so it's not a legal industry. But if if you just let the big boys right dominate right. it, yeah, then all the guys who are making money off this will right. get. It'll thrown. be a monopoly in the way that it yeah. is in almost every other state in the country. So what guarantees? What what uh, stipulations do you have in the bill? So so again, us having the ability to have served in this body for ten years. One of the things that struck us and we talked about this on a sidebar conversation on one weekend when we were reading reading through one of the three, four hundred pages, three hundred page iterations of this bill because this bill changed many times to um meet a number of needs uh, around the state. But one of the things that was so abundantly clear three months ago as we were reading as we were reading through the amendments of this bill is that I know for me I had never read a bill and saw myself, saw my community written in statute, mm-hmm. right? As a, as a participator of anything, of any real substance, particularly as it relates to industry. So when you talk about what are the things that sort of ensure and enshrine that folks, diverse populations, particularly the people of color will hopefully have an opportunity in this space. One is that social equity applicants Social equity, you have to have uh, 20% of your points of any application are social equity applicant points. So if you are a social equity applicant, meaning that you come from a disproportionately impacted area within the last five to 10 years, or you or someone in your family that you can draw a direct, uh, draw a direct nexus to has been, has had a cannabis conviction in the past, you then would qualify as a equity applicant. All right. Now let's go on to something that I don't think any Republicans supported. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jahan, uh, the reproductive uh, rights bill that any Republicans. No, they did not. Um, I, again, I'm downstate, so I'm not, I'm, I'm in a media market where I am the only Democrat. I'm the only African American. I'm the only woman, and so when we have policies like this that come forward, <laughs> when we have policies like this that yeah. come forward, yeah. um, it is incredibly contentious. Whereas when you are in communities like Chicago, it's very much so lauded and supported with a groundswell of folks um, mm-hmm. who can sort of aggregate. But this bill was one of those bills that drew out all crazies and what i mean by that is i don't mean because you think differently than i think that you're crazy but i'm talking about the amount of people not just myself but members that got death threats members that had to have security members that were attacked personally that were in their own houses of worship that were attacked at the pew because of this policy this was significant and it was important because of what we see happening one it's important just because we deserve to have agency over our own bodies and we should not be having these conversations anymore, but we are. And what we also see is that around the country is that states are rolling back the hands of time. Yeah. It, it's interesting that in, in during the pendency of the discussion as to that bill in and of itself, it, it does, it did not do anything to expand access to abortion. But no matter what you said to people who only view it that way, they, there was nothing we could say to them that would make them believe that. Raw words on a paper would not make them believe that. They refused to believe that this was not an abortion expansion bill. 
it was it was it was amazing. It was like, okay, but I'm showing you the paragraph where it says like right here. Now, what it did do was take old antiquated laws that we had on the books mm -hmm. that were still on the books that even though had they had been either enjoined by courts or struck down by courts, that they were still actual laws in the statutes within the state of Illinois. And what we have seen is that court decisions are being overturned. Mm -hmm. Precedent is being overturned. And as long as precedent is being overturned, we're in a situation where we cannot rely on case law to protect rights. So if any of the precedents are overturned, there would be a law on the books in the state of Illinois that asks for spousal consent. Yeah. Spousal consent. Yeah. I cannot imagine, because I understand my history and I know there was a time when women couldn't have credit cards in their own name, couldn't get mortgages in their own name. I uh, said a story on the floor uh, when we talked about this and I talked about my grandmother. My grandmother had three daughters. Uh, the next child she had was a wanted baby boy. She had a miscarriage late in pregnancy. And then the fourth, the fifth child, she was at a hair salon with her sisters-in-law in Nashville, Tennessee in 1968. And I wrote about this in an article that's actually on Huffington Post called I'm Fighting for the Reproductive Rights My Mother Didn't Have. And um, Great article, go look in, it up. In that, in that article, I talked, and I, I refer to the women in my family by the name that they would have been called in that decade. So I talked about the colored woman sitting in the hair salon surrounded by her sisters when it appeared that the placenta was breaking away and she started to hemorrhage and they rushed her to the nearest hospital that would take her in 1968 in the Bible Belt and she ended up at the hospital but they would not do the procedure because they didn't have her husband's permission mm -hmm. the baby did not survive she did but the baby did not survive because even though she was awake and she was alert and she was saying, do whatever you can to save this baby. And all of her sisters-in-laws were saying, do what you can to say, do the operation, do a C-section, do what you need to do. They didn't have her husband's permission. Her agency was not recognized by law or in that hospital. And in 2019, we still had a law on the books in the state of Illinois that required spousal consent. So if, if, if court precedent can be overturned, and we no longer say when or if mm -hmm. Roe fades, it's, no, it's when, it's when, it's mm, when, it's when Roe yeah. fails, it's when. and it will kick us back to where we were in 1972. Not that the procedure was illegal, but that it was left up to the states, which means only states that had protections and only women with means could figure out how to have agency over their own bodies. That's what was at stake in this bill. And we did that in a session where we also um, passed the capital bill, we also legalized passed the marijuana. Bill. We also <laughs> had an on time balanced bipartisan budget. I love saying that all That's, one thing that, on time balanced bipartisan the, budget. That makes more equity investments in our communities than we've ever made in the last 35 years. In yeah. five and a half months of this governor's first term. Now, let's go back to the reproductive uh, bill because uh, there's so much, uh, there, there's so much that you, that you said there that we have to unpack. First of all, the spousal thing is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, so we just uh, repealed it. That's yeah, part of the thing that this bill did. Now, did, was there, I, I, was there, were there people who stood on the floor to? Uh, Absolutely not. The folks that were opposing this bill, mm -hmm. they didn't want to talk about the facts of the bill. They wanted to talk about this. Obviously, within the, if you think about, um, so if you think about our time being in the General Assembly, there used to be Republican pro-choice yeah. members. Governor Edgar, there are no more. Republican pro-choice members, Thompson. House mm -hmm. or Senate. So we George Bush was the first person to lay the first markers down for Planned Parenthood. 
Yes, he did. George Bush the first. Herbert Walker Bush. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, George H. W. H. W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so the the members, particularly in the House, it really wasn't a debate about the facts of the bill. It was really debated on emotion. Um, I don't know if you watched the debate in the House, but the debate was essentially turned over to um, a Republican member of the House who is currently with child. And that member was sort of like relegated to have the entire conversation and everyone moved from around her so that all the shots were just of this member who was with child. A pregnant legislator. Yes, Mm -hmm. sort of carrying the debate. Now, what I would say is, that is what I know her to genuinely believe. I won't call it an antic. I won't call it an act. I'm just telling you exactly what happened. And as that debate went on, now mind you, Kelly Cassidy, put a pin this for a second, was a chief sponsor of cannabis, but she was also the chief sponsor of RHA. Mm-hmm. So with that said. Within 48 hours. Yes. Mm-hmm. Cannabis and RHA within 48 yeah. hours of each other. Oh, yeah. K- and, KC. KC, that's and the it. Sunshine Band, KC right. baby, right? So the reality of it is, is that, in, in my opinion, in the house, in the Senate is a different chamber than the House, but in the House, the conversation was much more rhetorical and about emotion than it was about the facts. It was, of the it bill. was about quote, uh, protecting uh, innocence, absolutely, uh, stop, stopping carnage. That's how it's uh, professed. That was they the frame. Yeah, yeah, they that's framed how it's it as framed. infanticide, essentially. Yes. yes. And uh, I understand what the Republicans are doing. Mm-hmm. I understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I have a lot of issues. There's something called moral equivalency where I've seen this a toy so much. So they'll equate, this is what the Republicans think they're slick. They'll equate what's happening in Alabama where they're... Uh, they're turning abortion into a crime where a doctor could face years in prison mm-hmm. for performing an abortion. So far, they haven't said the woman's going to jail, but that's next. All right. They're equating that. These are the moderates in the Republican Party right. with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you're against, oh, she's, the husband doesn't get a say. Right. More, more often, it's, if it's a minor. They're, they are so worried about like a 16-year-old it, I, I find it very interesting that we do not, number one, I, I choose to talk about this issue as it relates to bodily autonomy, number one, first and foremost, bodily autonomy, that mm-hmm. I get to decide what happens to my body. And if, that if it's state-sanctioned um, governmental inference in that, which doesn't exist for any, doesn't exist at all, for there's no equivalent for a man, not, not one equivalent. So I will talk about bodily autonomy with that. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that this hierarchy of life um, that we believe that a the promise of the future fully formed life now outranks the fully formed human being that's carrying it. Say it again. So I <laughs> I have a hard time from a legal standpoint mm-hmm. having the bo- the woman be at odds legally with a fetus. So these are people who want to bestow full constitutional rights on an unborn child and then completely obliterate them once they're born. Talk about because it. Because if that were the case, then pro-life would also include child care and paid family so, sick leave and, 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 and policies and procedures that allow people to comfortably bring, bring children into the world. So think about um, the we don't have any of, We don't have any of those things. Do we, we, we have bipartisan support when Rauner unilaterally 
destroy the child care assistance program. No, they stayed in lockstep opposed. Oh, the, the, lockstep. Wait, the, 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 the lockstep Duncan opposed. bill? And that was, yep. that was, <laughs> when, man, was that, that the was our match? bill. We that ran was that. our I, bill. We ran that bill. Yeah, no, I remember yeah. that. And, and, and I had arguments. Uh, Ken Duncan, uh, the state representative from the near south side of Chicago, former state representative near south side of Chicago, uh, he would, he, their argument that they would give to me, now we're on a tangent within a tangent, their argument that they gave to me at the time was, uh, this is a good compromise that will actually protect. And my argument was like, I'm sick of Democrats compromising. Take the extreme stand, force router. There was what we were what we were asking what we were demanding wasn't an extreme stand. It was what had been negotiated. And Toy used to always say this: childcare should be Switzerland. Yeah. So while we're having this debate on all of these issues, yes, you were elected governor, so you have the right to put these issues on the table. But why are we destroying children and largely women? Yeah. In what was a a uh, world, I mean, not world, but a countrywide lauded program. Yes. The child care assistance program was actually one of the best in the country. And we single-handedly <laughs> destroyed it over the course of a two yeah. year, unnecessary, completely, completely self-imposed and self-manufactured budget. Crisis. So why did those same children that are advocated for in utero, where is the advocacy for those kids once they're here? Once they're here, and I and I said that on the floor. I was like, I I can understand this if I saw more green lights on childcare, if yes. I saw more green lights on paid sick leave, on education on bills, bills, on education bills. So when you say that to Republicans, what do they say to you? I mean, we're, we're shrugging so, our shoulders. You guys are I just lauding like, the Republican five, the five reefer voters. Because I can give voters. credit on one bill. On one bill. <laughs> the Marijuana. five reefer Cannabis. 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 Uh, okay, and I will sorry, say cannabis. that I did, I did hear a lot in those, in those arguments for, you know, government should stay out of the way. And I swear, I say yes, yeah. including my ovaries. But, um. <laughs> Like the most private place in the Her world. Her ovaries you be. have their own t-shirt. Yeah. I hope you know this. They, like know. literally the most private place in the world you can be is your bedroom and your doctor's office. And they have yes. no problem being there. All right, now let me but ask you But they want you to stay out of banks and stay out of office. <laughs> like that's where government should be. Yeah. So, Not in my bedroom and my doctor's office. All right, so let me ask you, let's go back. To, uh, let's, let's talk about this as a political issue uh, and the, the moral equivalency. And so what the Republicans are doing is they're equating what you did in the Springfield in this past uh, session, passing the bill, the reproductive rights bill, with what Republicans are doing in Alabama. And they're saying that you are as extreme as Republicans in Alabama. This right. is the argument that the Republicans will make to right. win swing voters uh, in districts like Peter Roskam's old district, where Sean Kasson's now the congressman, or Lauren Underwood's district. This is the, going to be their argument to hold on to the electoral college victory that they got in 2016. This is what they're going to be arguing in and suburban it's, it's Detroit. It's indicative of how polarized we are, though. Yeah. Like, this is the most polarized the country has been in, I want to say, 40 years. If you look at a map, of states who are who have the trifecta where it's the governor and both chambers of the same party. 
the number of states who are all democratically controlled and the number of states who are all Republican controlled is now the greatest number than it's ever been. There's not there's very few examples of divided government where there are people elected all over the place. So we will continue to have those kinds of debates. It's either it's like literally how do you negotiate with people you're trying to kill? And she knows this because she's the president of the National Council of State Legislatures. That That was such a cool commercial break. (laughs) That's what I thought. I wasn't expecting that. That was a great transition. It was a really good transition. (laughs) But we're seeing that now. Sisters were right. That's what we do. (laughs) But we we're looking at literally when it comes to especially reproductive right. Like if you take say the state of Missouri and they lose. Because now Missouri has now said that they're not going to mm-hmm. certify the last remaining abortion clinic, clinic in the state. Yeah. Those women who will now have to travel to Illinois are refugees. Because every time we get a new handmade state around us, mm-hmm. catch that. Yeah, I got every it. time we get Very a new handmade yeah. state around mm-hmm. us, we are sh- we are showing the possibility of what happens when another state of Gilead comes online. Okay, mm. now I'm going to make a prediction. One of our famous bets is right here on the horizon. I don't believe the Supreme Court will decide, will kill Roe before the 2016 presidential election. 2020? I'm um, by bad. What did I say? 2016? Ooh, yeah. 2020. Good God. I'm I still know. living we back. We keep saying it's like, we're not running a 2016 race uh, for 2020, y'all. Otherwise, we're about to see the orange dude's day. Uh, I, I don't believe they're going to do that because I think that would swing the election to the Democrats. What do you think, Toy Hutchinson? Um, I hope you're right, but I am not, I don't have, I, I, I want to hope that you're right, but I don't have hope. And, and I think that's a really frightening thing to say. I think that right now we're, we're, we really are about to be like wholesale moved backwards. And part of that is going to be, we have a whole generation of people who have no idea what it's like to not have the ability to control, to, to even have the freedom to stand out there and scream and holler about what you think women should do with their bodies. There are a whole generation of women who have no idea what it's like to not have that right. And until I think um, that changes, I don't know that we're going to like really understand what's at stake here. So I have heard the theory that it'll come down to Justice Justice John Roberts and Mm -hmm. that he will end up being the one that actually believes in the theory of star decisis, actually believes in precedent, actually believes that this is settled law. And those are things you can't. I said, so there's a part of me and my uh, being a student of history that hopes you are right. I actually, I am I, terrified. I, that I do we're not, not believe just so you, for the record. I do not believe Roberts uh, is, would do this for precedent. Roberts is a Republican. Roberts is a political strategist. Uh, he is, he just happens to be Supreme court justice. So he pro in his mind, it's a political decision. He thinks the Republicans will lose if they destroy Roe on the eve of a presidential election. So he's going to hold off. It's which, a is another, which is another reason that we all need to be thinking about how politicized the Supreme Court is right now and how that in and of itself is something that needs to be rectified. I would love to see. There are 24 people running for president right now on the Democratic side. 24, could, could we say 14 of them who live in states that are that have Republican senators could drop the hell out of the president's race and run for Senate? Can we please just say that? Can we say we need to have a full on strategy and that everybody can't be president? And then if you're not breaking through the polls right now, that you need to look at your state and be like, if you think you can run across the country, let's see how you do in your own state. Run statewide. Take the chamber, take the Senate chamber back. 
So right now, 24 people in this race, like everyone keeps asking me what I think about the presidential race. I refuse to say anything just now because there's too many damn people in the race. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to see the circular firing squad. And I really want to see a concentrate. Like imagine what it could be if we actually had the DCCC and the Senate and the governors and everybody like look at what a comprehensive party strategy would be. And if that's the case, you don't have 24 people running for the same office. You have at least 14 to 15 of those things making real runs for the Senate so that we can have the House, the Senate, and the thing. And then at that point, drop the Electoral College, legislatively fix Roe, add D.C. add D.C. and Puerto Rico to the state, I mean, to, add to statehood status, fix the, uh, the gutting of Section 5 of the Civil Rights Voting Act, and then we can stop having these polarized conversations <laughs> we let the demographics do what it's supposed to do. That's what I want to see over the next That's what happens tired. with women leadership. Bad I'm a little tired. Toy, what a, a riff. Tired. I agree with everything you just said. Particularly Structural and college. systemic changes that we need to do to turn this country around. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck in this time loop Absolutely. of arguing about the same things right. and putting them fastest on the wrong uh, syllable. I, uh, better O'Rourke, <laughs> run for Senate. Oh, the, the baby. Did, did you catch right. that? No, the last Stop th- putting them fastest on the wrong uh, syllable. Oh, yeah. Emphasis on the wrong syllable. Emphasis on the wrong syllable. I did hear it, but I was so eager to tell the mayor of uh, South right. Bend, run, run for, for Senate. Senate. Run for Senate. Actually, what, with the news coming We got coming 24 out. people. That means we got a bench. We got a deep bench. Take the Senate chamber back. That's our only That's our only stopgap to the Supreme Court. And if people don't get yet how important the Supreme Court is, if we, didn't, if we failed to convince you of that after Hillary Clinton didn't win the presidency, if you don't get how important it is that they are stacking the federal bench with lifetime appointments, if you don't understand that the only stopgap to that is the U.S. Senate, half these people running for president need to run for the U.S. Senate. I'm tired. And half the, half the women I know are tired of this. I'm tired. I, I, very well put. Well, let's move on to the, the item number three. I can't even get anything out because it's like, oh, I wish I had thought of that. Now I'm just going to steal it and go, you know, this is what I think. No one will know that I stole it from Toy Hutchinson. All right. Number three, fair tax. Uh <laughs> Wow. Yes. With breaking news? Sort of. Oh, that fair tax? What's going on? Fair okay. Tax. Fair tax. Uh, the fair tax. Talk about fair tax. Uh, you had a, a hand in that, Toy Hutchinson. Did yeah. you not? I did. And it was interesting. I was at a meeting the other day um, where I was trying to bring some, uh, right in the deep southern part of my district, and I was trying to bring some information about senior scams and how not to take advantage of people. And there was a woman who stood up and decided to push me into a debate about how I want to talk about how the state of Illinois is scamming people. And she went straight to the fair tax. And I said, I said, okay, for the record in the 40th district, there's a 138 people at, I represent 215,000 people. There's 138 people who will pay a dime more <laughs> depending on where you are in that, you know, spectrum, but a hundred only a, of all the tax filers in yeah. the 40th district, 138 people. I said, so do you want me to consider the interest of just those 138 people or the 215,000 who want world-class higher education for our students, who want to know that the money they send to the governor is actually paying for public safety, health and human services, education, 
and all the things that we say that we demand of our government that you don't pay attention to until it doesn't work. So at this point right now, I want to stand on the side of pretty much the 215,000 people. As opposed to 138. As opposed to 138 people. And what was the woman's response? Um, oh, oh, and it was also a senior event. And we didn't add retirement income into this. So none of the people in there who were really hot and bothered about this are ever going to pay it. And I can talk chapter and verse about the fact that we don't tax retirement income or the fact that the majority of the um, opposition to the fair tax or the inability to listen to how significant it is for us to change a tax code from being old and antiquated and out of step and for, a, for an economy that doesn't exist today. Mm-hmm. It's 2019, the last time there was a major overhaul of the tax code was 1969. We don't drive 1969 cars right now because they didn't have seat belts and they got really horrible gas mileage and they weren't very efficient and we know more today. And the state is no different. It's pretty analogous to that. You don't do in 2019 and expect high quality services in a 1969 way. So it's time for us to have a tax code that matches the economy we actually have. I know that people's eyes glaze over when you're talking about taxes. I get that. But if you had the information that I had and you saw where the needs were and you saw the wholesale destruction of the state when we didn't have a budget and we weren't putting resources in where we needed it the most, then there's no way we could have done anything different. Actually, I don't think people's eyes glaze when you talk about taxes. I think uh, people's eyes glaze when you get into the details, uh, when you talk about numbers. Uh, yeah. When you talk about yeah. taxes, a very visceral reaction that people have. They don't yeah. like to pay them. Right. And that's... And Mrs. What I would say about, about Toy... Like 40 years, though, Toy has a way of talking about taxes in a way that makes it... So, step back. In the 2012 election, um, President Obama pulled out uh, Bill Clinton and he sort of um, renamed him as the secretary of explaining ish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? I remember that, yeah. So like when I hear Toy talk about taxes, I don't hear anyone else talk about taxes in the way that she does because she draws a direct connection and correlation between the taxes that we pay and the services and the investments that we, that we expect in our state. And when you allow the opposition to own the conversation around taxes and making taxes bad and satanic and this evil the thing. The theft of your wages. Absolutely. Yeah. Then you lose, you, you're going to lose that battle. Yeah. But when you talk about all the things, when you think about why governments ex- exist, it is to come together to do the things that we cannot do alone. It's taxes that pay for that. Yeah. And very few people, and I've learned a lot from her in that space because she truly leads and leans into that space. I've heard few people talk about the taxes that we pay in comparison to what we gain from that in the civil society that we build and grow and invest in and make better by those taxes. It's really, sometimes you go into a meeting and you can ask people, who in here does not rely on government at all? And almost everybody raises their hand, like especially if they're like they don't get a check from the government. They don't think they rely on government. Mm-hmm. And then you can go down the line. Go. Did you go to public school? Do you drive on roads? Is anybody in your house sick? Does anybody get Medicaid, Medicare, disability? Do you breathe air? 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> do you want your water to be clean? When you dial 911, do you expect that somebody's going to show up? Yeah. Like all of those things that we talk, all those things that none of us can do alone. When you, t- when you go down the list and people go, you know, I don't think about it like that. And I say, I know you don't think about it like that. And that's why I want to talk about the fact that the budget is not just random numbers on a paper. It's a moral document. Don't tell me what you believe in. Show me what you believe in because where you put your money is what you believe in. Yeah. And that's exactly what we can talk about when we talk about the tax code. So for people who want to keep everything the way it is right now, everything the same the way it is right now, that must mean because it's working for you. There's a whole lot of people it's not working for anymore. And until we acknowledge the fact that if we don't lift it for them, we are forever going to be held back. Then we can't have a real conversation about the things we're supposed to be doing together. Because none of us can do this alone. None of us. I sit in the Senate. It's on one vote. I got to get 29 other people to agree with me. And this is hard. And it's tiring. And it's hard. But at the end of the day, you go into the arena to try to figure out how to make things a little bit better than the way it was when you got there. That's all I'm trying to do. And it's hard, especially when you get visceral responses about things that hit very, very personally. So I just want to spend a few minutes to talk about real people and real lives and real investments that we want to make so that we can have real outcomes and finally turn the direction of this ship of a state around. Because I'm telling you, there's no place in the world that the great state of Illinois can go but up. All right. Now, uh, before we close this show, uh, uh, we, let's see, we've covered marijuana, we've covered uh, reproductive rights, and now we're doing fair tax. And so I know, Toy, you'll be coming back a lot to talk <laughs> about fair tax because that's the big one out there. Uh, are you optimistic? I know we have a long way to go on this one particular issue. Here we are. What is today? Today is June of 2019. So this particular election will not be until November 2020. And you know, everyone will be thinking about the presidential race. So this very important matter for the state of Illinois and how we finance government in the state of Illinois and whether we're going to move beyond this gated community approach that we have where the rich communities can take care of themselves and everybody else is a struggle, uh, will be on the sort of the down part of the ballot. Everybody's going to be talking about Trump versus whoever the Democrat is. So how confident are you about this at, at this moment, June of 2019? Where we're going to go to 2020? Um, so what I said earlier about, you know, what happens when we spend all of our time and effort nationalizing everything. So if we're looking at the top, I think those are the structural things we need to look at. So that's back to the, there's 24 people running for president. We need like 14 of them to look at Senate races so we can take the chamber back. I'm not, I'm not bending from that. The second thing is if we insist on running a 2016 campaign for 2020, we're going to see the orange one return. So we're, uh, listen, we're I can talk about so, so I cannot let you escape without uh, getting a little more specific about that. What do you mean by that? I mean, we have to run a comprehensive campaign that's more it, that is more than what we are against. Because the, the we're not going to outcrass this man. We're not going to outbully mm-hmm. this man. We're not going to he to get down into the gutter where he exists. You can't win that fight because that's where he likes it. <laughs> 
So we have got to figure out a way to get people to want to come where we're going. And that means we have to have a clear reason for where we're going. And I and what we say now as Democrats is like, why the hell are you a Democrat? Say it. What is it? And the reason what do you believe in? What makes you a Democrat? Don't tell me what you're against. What are you for? But also what she's speaking to is that. The reality of it is, is that clearly we don't want an anointing of anyone, right? We want a robust primary. And the reason why I think that this primary is going to be incredibly interesting is because oftentimes states like Illinois that are democratic states, they often get ignored in primaries because folks just assume, okay, well this person or this person has that state. The other candidates don't really spend any time here. Well, what you are saying, and Toy certainly sees this in NCSL, is that really state legislatures have really become like these experimental grounds Mm -hmm. to really inform the feds on what can be accomplished at the federal level. And so you can look at a state like Illinois, and if you look at what we did this year, what we did this year and with a forward thinking agenda, that should be the platform for the Democrats running in 2020. Okay, Mm -hmm. I will add this to that. Mm -hmm. What you did not address, and I'm not, I wouldn't even be saying this if you guys hadn't introduced this topic. Mm -hmm. But what you did not address, which is one of the driving issues, there's two, the driving issue in national politics today, in my humble opinion, healthcare. Mm -hmm. And I do not believe the Democratic Party can go into the 2020 election like we did four years ago, split. Mm-hmm. To do the Bernie faction mm-hmm. and the Hillary faction. And mm-hmm. Hillary's people, John Lewis, I always say this, one of the greatest civil rights heroes of the, the 1960s was the co- congressman that Hillary put out there to say, Bernie's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. You can't ask for these things. when. As you know, the money is there. It's just how you choose to spend it. Right. Okay. Right. So, so what has shifted since then, though? Like the electorate has shifted where the energy is in the Democratic Party. That is no longer acceptable. Right. And that was like the last of candidates that can come with that rhetoric and still expect to be successful electorally. So even Joe Biden, who represents <laughs> Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton wing of the Democratic Party, has got to be for health care. And I think he know all. and he knows it. If and you listen to him it. over the and, weekend at the mm-hmm. South Carolina convention, he spoke to that. Yeah, there's there's there I think now the, the where the energy of the Democratic Party is also is that we acknowledge that you can't get anything you don't ask for. I have a friend that tells you all tells me all the time. It's like if you you <laughs> either you uh, bringing something was it bringing something to the table or are you on the menu are you on the menu at the, <laughs> at the table the or on your you menu at the table or on the, on menu. the menu yeah and so if we don't acknowledge that there are things we have to specifically ask yes. for of our government it goes back to like there's a there's a part of the um martin luther king's i have a dream speech that we always gloss over and it's the part of the un the 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 check the blank check that came back insufficient funds yeah mm. uh by the way i would change the word ask to demand Right. You, you don't like, ask we for like, it. We like that too. Like, yeah, like this yeah. Is, yeah. we're talking about we expect a certain level of service and, and uh, service delivery of our government that said they were going to protect us. That to we, actually that, do to it. To actually do it. And so those are the things is like we no longer have time to be sitting around expecting, expecting that what we ask for is going to be cascaded to the side or not listened to or anything. There'll be always times when people say, don't play identity politics. Mm-hmm. Don't don't argue on this thing. Like that's enough that we're going to alienate too many people. And really, the big thing is to get rid of Trump and all the rest of those like kind of things. And it's like, well, if I can't talk about what 
my community needs when it's good. Right. And I can't talk about what my community needs when it's bad. And that no matter what's happening across the national spectrum, we're always the ones that have to be patient and wait for somebody to ask whether or not it's palatable for us to say, you know what, at the end of the day, black women shouldn't die at six times the rate of white women in childcare in the most industrialized nation in the earth. It's set, black people shouldn't be arrested seven times the rate of anybody else for cannabis convictions. Black people shouldn't be at the bottom of every single indices we have and then expect that the people who were there and elected to serve us get to say, be patient. Hold on. Hold on. Wait a minute. I'm tired. Not and half yet. the folks that look like us are tired and we sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I'm sick and tired of even saying that. So at this point. The game has changed. The game has changed. You got to say it and you got to fight. And All we're right. here to we're we're gonna we're gonna keep speaking truth to that. The game has changed. Toy Hutchinson, uh, Jahan Gordon Booth, thank you so much for coming here. And they're on their way to Girl Talk. Gotta give a shout out to my girls from Girl Talk who were on the show last week promoting you, Jahan. So that's how I knew you were on. Uh, thanks so much for coming in. It was a double bonus uh, to uh, have you. Toy. Double bubble. Double bubble. And, double trouble. Uh, and Boy, Toy will trouble. be back uh, next month yes, 12. Uh, with another mystery guest. Oh, uh, oh, we're doing Terry Cosgrove. Terry right? Cosgrove, yes. but that, I love you know, Terry. Jahan he's is driving into cover. Chicago all the time. I'm going to bring her in the studio more. Anytime often you too. let me know. All right, very all right, good. That is you. Toy Jahan, Dr. D. Great job. Take care, everybody.